Welcome to the audio-only version of this week's pop-up submission show. I hope you enjoy it. We love you to join us for the live show on YouTube every Sunday at 5pm UK time. YouTube.com slash Litopia. Hello. It's, we were just talking about what makes things special these days, whether it's a, a bag of chips or pop-up submissions. And if pop-up submissions is on YouTube live, it's got to be Sunday, hasn't it? Oh, my goodness. She can rip a manuscript apart faster than a turkey vulture in a Frito pie factory. Part-time locksmith, full-on writing muse, it's Tex Thompson. He's a writer and aesthete, a luminary of Latopia. It's the awe-inspiring John Duffy. Hello, Tex. You made it. I'm delighted you made it. How are you? What's going on? What's special about today? Well, let's see. What is special about today? Um, the sun is shining. The birds are singing. My husband mm. is making French onion soup downstairs. Oh. And despite this this disastrous outbreak of continentalism in our own proud household, I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> well, I hope they don't take your Texas passport away for that. You got a book for us this week. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes, it's a, it's a well-known guide to author branding that I cannot recommend highly enough. It is The Cat in the Hat by Dr. Seuss. Right. If you want to learn how to stand out in the world and make a splash, I can't say enough good things about this one. You can. Go on. Keep talking. Oh, no, absolutely. This, well, I think actually that The Cat in the Hat is a lot like the process of writing a novel. It seems innocuous at first, but then the disasters keep piling up. There is a, <laughs> a cake on a ball, on a boat, on a ship, on a, you know, bowl. And then the fish is actually the voice of your inner conscious, your inner voice saying, stop now and do something wholesome with your life. But you yeah. can't because you're yeah. committed. All right. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, that's. I mean, I got to say, I, I, yeah, you can stop now. I try. I try to put her on the spot, and she performed magnificently. But the show is still young. Johnny, well, you got a book for us as well. I have, Pete. It's this here, which I don't know if you've got a in the studio as well. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Ron Paul of Bailey. John Mortimer. I've got, yeah, I've got my nice old copy of it here, which is falling apart. Um, it's a classic, isn't it? It is, yeah, it's the first one in the series of, of many that he wrote, and they tend to follow the format of loosely connected uh, short stories. Mm. But Rumpel's character is hilarious. He just, he's another one of these characters who skewers establishment. Um, he's a barrister, but he's only ever made as a junior barrister because he doesn't want to become a, what they call a silk or queen's counsellor. Mm. He only ever defends, he doesn't prosecute, and he just, you know, rips the sort of legal system or the sort of the niceties of the legal system my learned friend this, my learned friend that, uh, to pieces. And he's overseen by um, his adoring wife, Hilda, or better known as she who must be obeyed, who's always um, keeping it in check. Hilarious. Uh, if you, anybody's never read them, I do really recommend you. Do you think, quick question here, do you think that um, Americans would understand it at all? I, yes, probably, but it may take a little bit of time to get into it. It is, I don't know if it's quintessentially English or British, but it is quite British and it, and it, it sort of, it, it does sort of centre around the British legal system, which is different in, in, in some respects to, to the American one. I don't know if it ever crossed, to be honest. I don't know if it ever did well in the States. Yeah, I wonder, um, I wonder that. Yeah, it, but but here, you know, it was, t it was televised and ran for a long time. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, won many plaudits but yes yeah, well, interesting well. question tech 
Tex might know, but I, I, I really, I don't know if it would or not. I don't know if Tex has heard of it. Actually, it's just, let's just see. Actually, have you heard of it, Tex? This is my dad's favorite book series. Oh, he, really? I, I spent the first ten years of my life thinking my mother's name was she who must be obeyed. <laughs> um, he loved every bit of it, and um, uh, he was also a huge fan of Yes Minister. So just mm. you know, and, and, and yes, a man of culture, so, clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah, big nerd. But yeah, um, but gen- no, generally, I, I, generally speaking, to the Americans who are watching now, would they understand it? Would they get the vibe at all? Be slightly interested or what? I think there's enough cross. I mean, the thing is, we've all at this point, most of us have been, uh, you know, exposed to at least the faulty towers level of British yeah, culture. It's true. Doctor Who true. level of British culture. Yeah. So I yeah, think yeah. it might not be as impenetrable as it used to be. Yeah, good. Excellent. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Johnny. Two great books. Two great guests today. We're just about to set Voyage. What are we going to discover out there? My hopes are high. Um, that was a very, very brief commercial for our priority submission thing, which costs very little, actually. Remarkably little. And it'll get your uh, manuscript on the show much faster, much faster. I don't know exactly what the backlog is at the moment. We used to put that up on screen. I haven't got it, but it is, I think, several months. So uh, priority submission is just the ticket for you. Let's see what happened last week. Now, these were the manuscripts you saw. The clear winner on the show was Andrew Gray's The Time War, who I think is gracing us live with his presence right now on YouTube. Uh, His logline was, The wars of the future are fought in the past. And we all thought it was a good one. But what did you think? All right. So, uh, Feline and Nick's first 700 words got 12% each of the vote. Andrew came out with 61%, pretty close to what everybody, the combined vote in the studio, which is our two guests and the uh, the genius room, and me. Um, Nell didn't get any, I'm sorry about that, Nell. Anthony Gervais, he got 15%, but if you remember, that was a manuscript I wanted to call in. So that means, yes, Andrew. <laughs> Isn't that great news? You're a winner. Congratulations. Delighted about that. I like it when everybody, you know, the studio, the guests and uh, live vote all all coincide because that means, you know, you've got a broad swathe of opinion behind you. It augurs well. Let's have a look at our first submission today. And this is a thriller. That's a great way to start. It's by Philip and it's called The Legacy. And this is Philip's blurb. Five years after faking his own death and going into hiding, Robert Mulhoon, a disgraced billionaire, quite a few of those around, is offered the chance to prove his innocence, rebuild his relationship with his daughter and reclaim his life. All he has to do, in return, is bring down the criminal mastermind who killed him once and who will stop at nothing to kill him again. Oh, let me tell you about Philip. Um, I've worked in advertising for 20 years, says Philip. Join the club. (laughs) Hopefully you're an escapee by now. Um, Before that, I was at Cambridge University, where I regularly performed and wrote as part of the Cambridge Footlights. An august starting, jumping off point, really, for many, many a distinguished career that was. This is my second completed novel, says Philip. The first formed part of my dissertation as I graduated with distinction from Kingston University Creative Writing MA in 2015, uh, whilst 
that one was necessarily more of an exploration of literary style. My practice novel, says Philip, if you will, this one is commercial fiction, intended to both grip and twist. Oh, I like that, gripping and twisting. Yes, manacle the reader to the manuscript. Very, very good indeed. So who better to um, bind and ensnare the reader than Kate? Legacy by Philip. Read by Kate. One. Raoul would die regretting what he did that night. He blamed his stupid hands, his thumbs too fat for the more delicate parts of the job. Then he clasped those stupid hands together in prayer. His knuckles whitened and scars tightened desperately as they ran up his fleshy forearms. He clamped his eyes shut. Not all of his scars were the innocent remnants of a distant Mexican childhood. And not all of them would heal. It was a Friday, and what should have been the start of a weekend drinking beer, lazing around the house and avoiding chores. He struck out early in the morning, as he often did, leaving the cool shadows of his brick-built home well before the cruel heat of a June sun came into full force overhead. His tools were slung into the flatbed of his battered pickup. His packed lunch was placed more carefully on the dusty passenger seat. He heaved himself behind the wheel, started the ignition, and swung the back end out over the rutted track in a sweeping curve. As the tyres crunched over gravel, the transmission complained loudly. At the edge of the driveway, he paused to turn on the radio and peek at the contents of the Tupperware beside him. Most days he would come home for lunch with his family, but not today. Today, he had landed a second, less routine job that would take him an hour out of his way, maybe more, and mean that today he'd be eating by himself. As though he were up to no good, he lifted the lid and sneaked a look at the thick oraches his wife had made for him. They were filled with pork and refried beans and a sauce thick with smoke and tomatoes. His daughter, Eva, had added a tub of crispy golden bunuelos, dusted with cinnamon and sugar. He would look forward to those. He looked in on her before he left, her chest rising and falling in a lazy rhythm, hair plastered to her damp forehead. Tangled sheets wriggled off. Above her, the ceiling fan whupped gently, moving the air, but doing nothing about the encroaching heat. He pulled her frozen T-shirt down over the sliver of tan belly and backed out quietly. Now he treated himself to a bunuelo and steered the truck up onto the blacktop. It was not yet 6.30am. The day passed without incident and at three in the afternoon he made his way to the lock-up as instructed. An hour later, he pulled into a service road that led to a patch of stony, scrubby ground, parched dry by the sun. From a high concrete wall, a faded mural smiled down at him under its impressive moustache, some kind of homage to a revolutionary era. He paid it little attention. Instead, he bounced the truck's wheezing suspension into a dry gulch and parked up in the broad shade of a cypress tree, hidden from view. The additional load was not too heavy, but the heat had made him tired. He turned off the engine and took a long pull on a bottle of beer. As the day cooled, he watched the moonrise and waited calmly for the allotted time. But now 
He was anything but calm. His pulse was pounding anxiously. His panicked brain was filled with the memory of his own fumbling hands and the sounds of the footsteps that echoed loudly behind him. They shouldn't have been there. They shouldn't have surprised him like that, but they had. That had been less than 30 minutes ago. Now, in grubby jeans and darkened shirt, he stood in the darkness, gasping for breath, sweat soaking into his eyes and through his clothes. The world felt like a different place to the one he had known that morning, the one he had known all his life. Raoul had grown up in these parts. Everybody he knew had grown up in these parts, and they would die in these parts too, perhaps sooner than they imagined. Somewhere close by, he knew his truck was still there, not a hundred feet from where he now stood. But he was looking in the opposite direction, staring at the scene before him. He wanted nothing more in that moment than to disappear, and yet he stood, transfixed, offering his fleshy palms to some higher power, moving his lips in silent prayer, frozen, afraid. What had he done? What indeed? I think we'll find out. We'll find out. I'm sure we'll. Otherwise, the, that's going to be a very short book. Um, I'm getting a sort of Danny Trejo vibe here, so it's got to be text, really. First reactions? Oh, yeah. No, I agree with the chat room that um, in this this narrative, we have a really good uh, sort of narrative striptease going on here, but we need to pop a second button. We need to we need to advance just a little you know we, it's we don't need the whole nine yards but we i agree that that we have a wonderful fantastic setup i am so glad that we don't skip over the packed lunch and you know and and those really key details that tell us that this is a person of a good ordinary life who's expecting a good ordinary job but even if we're not going to hear too much about what has gone wrong just yet i think we should at least hear about what was supposed to happen what john yeah. thought he was gonna go do yeah that i think would be enough to hold us to sustain us a little bit longer till we get to those those tantalizing morsels that are just out of our reach yeah pop a second button has just been added to the uh, increasingly long sort of thesaurus of uh, taxisms i suppose you'd call them really <laughs> yeah but uh, is, yeah yeah exactly yeah Johnny. Yeah, it's hard to disagree with any of that. I've, I'll put a note at the end, and you know, what is he waiting for? Because there's a, a opens quite nicely, first paragraph or so. Yeah. We go into a very long, extended piece about what you know of his trap, going to this site. He was obviously waiting for something. He was, was so, he was going to it was some kind of a tryst or other, whether it was for nefarious purposes or to meet someone, or oh. and, and, and it keeps on going on like that. And I thought. You know, I've just I've written the same thing in the middle, probably in the you know from after the first two or three paragraphs, I got a bit bamboozled. But I yeah, thought, I can't quite work out what's happened. Though what Tex said, I did my ears did pick up when the food was mentioned. I thought that sounds quite nice because I well, I do cause... like Mexican. <laughs> <laughs> well, if that's the only reason you're reading, I think we're in trouble. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's not. No, I, I, I think that that, um, that that he Phillips written it well. I mean, it's, it's nicely written, but it yeah. really needs to get a wiggle on. Yeah, I, yeah, know, I think that's not, right. We're not getting to the meat of it quick enough. 
Yeah, we need that, that second button to text us. Or, I mean, I, I sort of compare it to a rocket liftoff, actually. Just, you know, you've got your first initial, then you've got to go to the booster stage and go even even harder and faster. And then you, we're completely locked in, which is exactly what you want to do, isn't it, Philip? Lock, uh, gripping and twisting the reader. Very, um, very admirable motives. Let's go back to text for some numbers. Ah, you know what? Let's call this, let's call this a three. Okay. This is really good writing. Fantastic. Which is not Johnny. about a whole lot. Yeah, yeah. Johnny? Uh, uh, for, for, for the same reasons, three for me. I thought, I thought it was nice writing. I am going to concur. Absolutely, yeah, good. So now you, you get to see how it all works in a moment. Um, because we have got a bit of a, a lag here on YouTube. But I'll show you, show you what's going on in real time. Yeah, no, look, fantastic. It's all, it's all worked. So we we take an average there, and you can see, Philip, you started with fifty five percent, sixty percent, nay, sixty percent. It just went up live as as you were watching. And that's a good start. You could, depending on what else is on the show today, you could actually turn into today's winner. But we don't know until we've seen the next submission. And this is YA fantasy. I like that. I like that with my agent's hat on. I do. It's by Sarah. And it's called Wolf Totem. This is Sarah's blurb. Subject to a life of servitude in the caves of remote Amambia, 17-year-old miner accepts her fate as a groundling, the lowest caste of the Saktawan people. That is, until a terrifying incident causes her extraordinary totemic power to reveal itself, and she escapes into the mountains. There, under the tutelage of a smart-mouthed old hermit, her mind is opened to a world of mysticism and magic, and she finds a kindred spirit in Akira, the great white wolf, who visited her dreams for years. All right. I've heard of Akira before, haven't I? I haven't Googled, but maybe somebody would let me know. Akira, white wolf? No, I don't know. Uh, tell you about Sarah. I write a whole novel, says Sarah, to avoid watching the news. <laughs> Know what you mean it might be terrible <laughs> i like this it might be terrible in fact most likely is <laughs> in brackets let's find out together says sarah in public why not i like your sense of humor uh, but at least i have no idea about what's going on in the real world worth it either way that's a terrific that's really great actually if you totally got the uh, the vibe of pop-ups um so away with the fairies you need an artist of audio to deliver this, don't you? To deliver the air castles that you're creating. Should we ask Emily? The first Wolf page. Totem by Sarah, read by Emily. The tunnel arch turned, a kaleidoscope of amber lamplight and sharp-edged shadows. The same foot that had sent Mayanna to the ground now found her ribs, and her spinning vision began to vignette at the edges. An involuntary moan escaped her lips. She never liked to show the totems how much it hurt especially Bulgar. He stood over her now, a bulky half-silhouette in the dim light. In the gloom, the bear-clock tattoos of his totem looked like scars beneath his eyes. Lightless eyes. Get up, groundling, he said. Mayanna forced herself to her feet. Everything hurt, but she stood and met his eye with a steady gaze. Silence had descended around the scene. The old man Garum's face was a picture of rage at Bulgar's back, 
but Mayanna shot him a warning glance and he said nothing. Bulgar, too, became aware of the stillness around him. What are you all looking at? he shouted. Do you want a taste of my stick? He whacked his pickaxe off the tunnel wall and the mine started to life in a metallic flurry. Bulgar turned back to Mayanna. Get back to work, low blood, he said. But if I don't see something in that crate... He didn't have to fill in the blanks. A cracked rib was just the prologue of this particular story and one that Mayanna knew all too well. He spat at her feet and moved on, working his way through the chambers, swinging his axe. Mayanna turned back to her station. Her long plait had come loose. She pushed strands of hair out of her eyes with a trembling hand. Are you all right? Dibbs's eyes were bright circles of consternation in his grim, blackened face. If she hadn't started the shift with him, it would have been impossible to tell who was standing there. All groundlings looked the same after about five minutes in the tunnels. I'm fine, she said. No talking, Bulgar yelled. The curved walls played with the sound, throwing it back and forth down the tunnels in an endless, paradoxical loop. Mayanna took up her pick and chipped at the wall without hope. There was no sorry in here. She knew it as well as Bulgar. She had been put on the section as punishment. Her and Dibs both. Her for being blue-eyed, half-bred. Dibs for being small and soft. He was sixteen, but once his face was washed, he could pass for twelve. A relative calm had been restored to the mine. Rhythmic chinks of metal and stone carried through the tunnels. Crates of tsarine trundled through the labyrinth on trolleys to be taken for cleaning. Occasional gleams of ice blue glinted through the piles of unwashed gems as they passed. Chunks of stone fell to the ground around Mayanna's feet. Dust caked her lips and tongue caught in her lungs. Twice a bluish glint in the rock wall gave her cause for hope, but both times turned out to be nothing more than a piece of sharp, dark stone. The hypnotic sounds of the mine lulled her into a daydream as she worked. Her mind drifted out of the mines out of the caves and into the mountains. They were so lucid to her that she could almost convince herself that the air filling her lungs was clean and fresh, could almost feel the cool touch of the mountain air on her skin. Still nothing in your crate, halfling. His putrid breath raised the hairs in the back of her neck. Mayanna froze, barely daring to think, but he moved on. And nothing in yours either, boy. Mayanna looked up in time to see Bulgar whack Dibs across the back of his legs with his axe handle. The boy's eyes widened in surprise and he crumpled to the ground with a cry. Goddamn groundlings, Bulgar said. He kicked Dibs in the side and the boy screeched in pain. I don't know why we keep you around. Bulgar raised his boot again. An irresistible surge of rage boiled through Mayanna's veins and there was nothing she could do to hold it back. Stop it! Her voice rang like a bell through the mines. Everybody stopped. Okay, so you can see we are graced with the presence of Emily in the genius room. And it's always nice to know what our narrators think, because they get inside the manuscript in a different way. Um, And she says, I like the writing a lot. The only thing I didn't like was the name Mayana, a little too like Moana. Okay, yeah, it might be indeed. Um, John, Johnny. This is not necessarily your your uh, natural preferred reading genre, but still, we're all a bit of a YA at heart. How did you feel? 
And again, like the first submission, I thought the, the writing was very competent. There was some very nice description in it. Um, I, I did feel that we were introduced to a lot of characters without much to fill them out. So we, we've got a collection of names at the moment. Mm. And, and Bolgor in particular seems like a nice guy. So I hope he gets his what's coming to him before the end of his nasty <laughs> oh, piece you, of work. you really got into it. It's great. It's uh, good. And he, he, he needs a good slap from somebody, but... but He's probably going to get I, it. I did enjoy it. I, I think it was well. It was well written for what it is, but it's, it, it isn't my sort of metier. I, I don't. It's not something which I would typically turn to. Yeah, um, it's not your bag. But, but nicely written. Sometimes right. I, I would have wanted more of a sense of place. Uh, sorry, a sense of place, perhaps as well. I don't know where we are. We're obviously in a mine, but where you know where is uh, where is the world and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, give us a number, one to five. I'll give it another three again. I'll another three. I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming. So, Tex, we've got Galadriel in the genius room. Says, enchanting description. A lot, a lot of people like the writing, uh, but the story isn't grabbing me. Heard similar before. I mean, a lot of this genre is actually quite derivative in any case, isn't it? Self-referential. Yes, absolutely. And that's where I think, you know, you can absolutely do a been there, done that story if you rub some funk on it if you know there's a million stories of a selfish prince who learns to be a better human being but if one of them is david spade and he gets turned into a llama then you have the emperor's <laughs> new group and it feels really fresh and you can do that um i think here what would be really interesting it's it's we're, we're starting with violence and we're ending with violence so the end violence doesn't seem that exceptional because we've already had a big beating right on page one yeah, so yeah, if we yeah. hold off on the violence for a little minute, if we see something right before the beating, like that, that really shows us that this protagonist has fire or something special that we haven't seen before. If she, you know, chips a, a piece out of the wall that she didn't expect to find, oh, thank goodness, I finally found one. I'll get to eat yeah. tonight. Yeah. And then puts it in Dib's box because she sees that he hasn't found anything and feels bad for him. Right. That that says, oh, here is a person who really is generous. Or if Bulger says, you know, what are you looking at? And she looks him up and down and she says, hell, if I know, <laughs> then she's got it coming. You know, then we see that this is a person of, of you know, of grit. Uh, anything like that, I think, would promise us that this is an exceptional character, even though the plot line may be something we've seen before. Yeah. So just looking at the latest uh, comments in the chat room, uh, the genius room, Robert says, solid writing has definitely been a better use of her time than watching the news. Absolutely. Well yeah. done, Sarah. <laughs> yeah. Just needs a bit of a hook. Yeah, it does. Or more unique, uniqueness to make it stand out in a crowded field. I think that's true. And Hannah, thank you very much, Hannah. She's done the research. Akira is a well-known white wolf. I thought so in art and video games. That could be a problem, actually, Sarah. That could be a problem. Um, you need to get to the bottom of that because if you, you know, if it's a sort of a registered trademark, some vast Japanese manga uh, company, they are not going to be pleased with you appropriating that. So, um, numbers tax, please. Oh, I'll give it a three. Another three. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to go two. Aww. I know, I know. Yeah, pouring cold water on things, but um, it, is, it is a little derivative. I'm not getting into it as hugely as I'd want to, and I'm a little bit concerned about the Akira reference as well, which I think should have been covered somewhere, Sarah. But I think I thought your your cover note was absolute killer, absolute killer. Let's see how that affects the numbers. And yep, that's how it should be. 
slightly under our first submission with 55%. But I think we're on a roll. I really do. Should we try one more? And this is from Jamie. It's women's commercial fiction. Oh, we like that too. Oh, agents love that. We're going through some great genres today. Money-making genres. Oh, yeah, let it roll in. International Relations is called. International Relations. Oh, I like that title too. And this is Jamie's blurb. Ricky Chapman is a 40-something attorney who's pushed out of a job as an in-house counsel due to disagreements over the new types of loans. The only jobs available to her are in post-conflict and emerging market countries. As seen through Ricky's unique perspective, the book follows her as escapades and professional involving bullying. What does that mean? Professional what? Professional somethings. Involving bullying bosses, the US bombing of Baghdad, Islamic extremists, diva consultants. I've never heard of that, but I'm sure I'll find out what they are in a minute. Anti-American sentiment, bike riding in Kabul, tent life in southern Sudan, and bad Ameri. <laughs> and you're, you've been truncated there because you only get a certain number of words. So I think that was bad American accents or bad American food or something like that. But we don't know. And we may never know. Um, let me tell you about Jamie. I'm a US training attorney who's worked in international development for the past 20 years. Uh, the pandemic has given me the time, just like Sarah, eh? that's one good thing, isn't it? Uh, to write down some of my experiences. I still work in international development. I've just finished a project in Cambodia. Okay, so we want something that's cosmopolitan in terms of a narrator. Yeah, cultured, worldly. Probably got to be K. The first page. International Relations by Jamie P. Bowman, read by K. It was the first week of May 2002 and I was rather pleased with my life. I'd spent Saturday in Amsterdam enjoying the festivities at the Queen Beatrix's annual birthday celebration. It was an unforgettable afternoon, complete with canal cruises, musical performances, food stalls and lots of local beer. A nice man from The Hague taught me how to say I love you in Dutch. It was that kind of day. The following morning I shook off a Jennifer fog and made my way to Schiphol Airport to catch the mid-morning flight to Pristina, Kosovo. I was starting a new job as a legal consultant in the office of the Prime Minister. I'd be drafting economic legislation as part of the US government's contribution to the rebuilding of Kosovo after the Bosnian War. I was genuinely excited about the new position. After an unexpected delay at the immigration counter, my hair was quite a bit lighter from home colouring accident, I rolled my suitcase through the airport's automatic doors and scanned the parking lot for the project driver. I spotted a slim, dark-haired man with a closely trimmed beard examining a bad photocopy of my passport photo. He held it up in my direction. He asked, It's you? I nodded. He looked at me and then back at the photo and commented, You die here. Bajram, the young project driver, hoisted my heavy suitcase into the back of the SUV and we gunned out of the parking lot. After a close call with a slow-moving donkey cart, Bajram indicated that he wanted to practice his conversational English. But it was a struggle. His vocabulary was weak and he confused family terms such as wife, aunt and nephew. At least I hope that was the case, otherwise his uncle has some explaining to do. 
I changed the subject to movies and Bajram excitedly confessed to being a Quentin Tarantino fan. He quickly reeled off the names of several of the director's earlier films and then went on to recount some of the more disturbing scenes from the movie Pulp Fiction. Except for some minor difficulties pronouncing assassination, blood spatter and 20-gauge shotgun, Bajram was essentially fluent in the language of mayhem. As we drove towards the city, I got my first look at my new hometown. Rishtina sustained surprisingly little damage in the NATO airstrikes, but it still wasn't much to look at. In fact, Pristina was dubbed one of Europe's ugliest capitals. And while people tend to forget, Kosovo is part of Europe. You can drive to Thessaloniki, Greece, in less than four hours. And it's an easy day trip to Rome via one of the many ferry services that cross the Adriatic. Close to town, Bajram smiled broadly and pointed out the enormous portrait of President Bill Clinton that hung high on the side of a multi-storey building. Kosovars and ethnic Albanians love Clinton. They give him credit for the NATO bombing campaign that forced Belgrade to yield and withdraw its troops in 1999. I peered up to see Clinton smiling out at the people that were so grateful to him as if sharing a special secret. My dad had a good Bill Clinton story, but it was too complicated to tell Bajram. When running for president in 1992, Clinton admitted to trying marijuana as a 20-something Rhodes Scholar at the University of Oxford. But as he didn't inhale, he argued, his actions didn't break the law. Fast forward three or four years and President Clinton was visiting my hometown in San Jose, California as part of his re-election campaign. My dad, an anesthesiologist, was selected to serve on the standby team of doctors that would tend to Clinton in the event of a medical emergency. My father's famous comment was, how can I give Bill Clinton an anaesthetic if he doesn't inhale? Just a few blocks on, Bajram pulled into the semicircular driveway of the Grand Hotel Pristina. The Grand was a large, state-owned hotel that had the benefit of being within walking distance of everywhere of interest. Its dilapidated, multicoloured, concrete exterior had all the curb appeal of a large Midwestern American prison. As Bajram handed me my suitcase, he smiled and said, Welcome to Kosovo, your new house. All right, now say what you will, Tex Thompson. And I know you will, and people have tried in the past to stop you, but they've failed. Say what you will. I think there's a nice eye for observation going on there. And there are one or two little in incidents that could actually be worked up nicely. I absolutely agree. And I think the... I, I agree with the chat room that we are... Um, we are dangerously pleasant in these pages. Yeah. Things are going rather nicely. And that, that sort of lukewarm emotional water is a dangerous place to start a story where mm. things are going according to plan and it's, it's all sort of vaguely good. Not great, not awful. Um, but speaking as a person who has spent hours detained by the UK Customs and Immigration. Really? Um, and was very nearly put back on a plane and sent home uh, for attempting to enter the country with a denied visa. That's another story. Whoa. I really like this idea that maybe we get held up because the photo doesn't match. I think we could actually yeah. have a bigger delay disaster how frightening would it be to to be excited about your nice new job to be traveling and everything's going according to plan but when you get there 
your hair's too light, your sunburn, your sunburn from being at the festivities too long in Amsterdam the day before, you know, there's just a little too much wrong and suddenly you're stuck in limbo in a foreign country <laughs> where you don't even speak the interrogator's language. I love and it. Let's make a yeah. mess yeah, on page, exactly. page one. Or, well, totally. let, uh, let's spend page one on what is supposed to happen and then page two making a mess with what actually happens. I think that's spot on. Really great advice there, Jamie. Um, I hope you're listening to it. Give us a number then, Tex. Oh, I'll give it a three. Yeah. Fair enough. John. Yeah, I, I'd have made a note on my pad here. It, it did read and sound a little bit like a travel log. Um, and I'd, I was sure when her, the passport was questioned, I thought, oh, she's, she's going to get detained here, but she wasn't. Then she met her driver, and then we had a lot of we had a lot of stuff with Bajram, um, you know, just very mundane, taking her to her new house. It was all perfect, very pleasantly pleasantly written and, and yeah. well written in, in yeah. respects. But it, it didn't. There was nothing to grab you by the throat and say, yeah, "There's a story coming here at the moment." And, and I thought, then we went sidetracked into the Bill Clinton story. I thought it was a bit, you know, again, it was a bit of padding. We didn't necessarily need that. Um, or it could have been just a couple of sentences, actually. Just you know, the the pace was really slow. And I think if if the, if if it, everything happened a lot faster and just the important stuff, then you know, as as a sort of throwaway line, that that could have been great. And then we move on. But it was actually a complete paragraph, and it just you know, it, it did feel like a meander. I, I liked it. I, I think Bajram was fluent in the in the language of mayhem. Was a nice line which jumped out at me. Yeah, and that, yeah. That, that was something I, I really quite liked. But. Yeah, you know, it's a horrible word. You know, there's nothing wrong with it, but but there's yeah. nothing that's going to really grab me either. Yeah, it doesn't feel like women's commercial fiction genre to me, which is not well, necessarily a bad thing, but it it's it does feel more more travelly, and um, I think it's got potential. Uh, but anyway, give give me a number, please. It's a day of threes, I'm afraid. I'm, a, I'm another three on it because I think it's well written, but, but it, you know, it's. It doesn't yeah. do much more than that. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, well, I've said everything I need to say, and it's still going to be a two from me, I'm afraid, being rather realistic. I need to make money out of these things, guys. If I can't make money straight away, then, uh, you know, we agents tend to have a very short tension span, I'm afraid. Um, I thought it's, let's just see the numbers. See how it's going? It's all to play for. Yeah, we've got... Well, it's quite tightly bunched, actually, isn't it? So who knows what the next two submissions are going to be like. Um, but meanwhile, Tex, there's great speculation in the chat room. Was it the hat? No. No, it was the... Um, it was my marriage visa application had been denied. And so... Oh, wow. Yes, and so I had um, I had been I had not yet had time to address that when I went to visit my beau, and so they caught me trying to enter the country with a with a denied visa on my record, and they said, "Oh, let's step right over here." <laughs> and I tell you what, I had for about about two and a half hours, it was children of men. <laughs> I mean, it was <laughs> it was V for Vendetta. England prevails. <laughs> <laughs> were they nice yeah, to you? Was, did they, did they, were they respectful, scary. or were they just horrible? Um, you know, British people have a knack for being both at once. Yeah, 
totally How did you find that to be true? yeah it's the it's the sarcasm and it's the put down and yeah that's uh, yeah i know it's snide yeah i know it does irritate actually it's irony i think americans often find british irony very hard to understand and they and they get kind of i don't use it at all when i'm talking to americans because it's too easily misunderstood and they think it's kind of personally being sarcastic and it's not irony we like irony but yeah oh, but i still think i think american um immigration officials are actually worse than Brits. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you get the whole small town sheriff thing over here. You get you get Paul yeah. Blart mall cop on a power trip. Yeah. Um, totally. Yeah. yeah. No, so I'll, uh, I'll just um the- just before I've got I've got a couple more questions here, but uh, let's just uh, say hi to Sarah who's with us on live stream. Um, all great points. Thank you, Sarah. Going to work on fantastic. A career is an anime series. I thought he was something like that. So steer clear of it. You don't need to do that. Um, yeah, that's cool. Excellent. Thank you very much, Sarah. And I, I loved your covering note as well. You're a good sport. That, that's what you need to be. Um, so I wasn't joking when I said Tex Thompson, part-time locksmith, full-time professional muse. You are really. You are a muse to writers. What's the first question you ask them when you start working with them? I love to ask, what is the story of this story? Did you just write it in the last six months during lockdown? Have you been working on it for 10 years? Did you get the idea in a dream? Is this some partially based on your real life? I think it is so important to know where the story came from and Mm. what draft we're on and what was it originally before you started putting it to paper? Um, Because I don't think we're equipped to, I don't think that any editor is equipped to help you get somewhere if they don't understand where you've come from. Yeah, Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah, that's great. So what happens, let's say, you're working with, you know, Mr. or Ms. XYZ, and text, uh, you know, you give them some straightforward, honest honest feedback. You are a mirror to, you know, you're, you're the objective part of the, the partnership. They're the subjective part. What happens if they say, yeah, no, thanks very much, but I don't think that's right. I'm going to do it my way. What happens? Oh, I, of course. This is a collaborative process. And what I like to say, I usually try to stop short of saying, this is boring, nothing is happening, you have to delete it, because that's that's a close-ended commandment. Yeah. I much prefer to say something like, okay, I feel like we're not, we're spending too many pages doing too little, so our choices are either cut away <laughs> some of the pages or make this section accomplish something else. That's being subtle, Tex. I've never, never actually known you to be subtle like that before. That's very impressive. Hmm. Yeah, and then, so, so then you're really presenting the author with options, and they could say, yeah. oh, I'm really attached to this. Let's make it do something else. How, do we, how does that work? And then we start thinking about suggestions. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever actually dumped, dumped a client because you just didn't get on? Fucking on. Only once, and it was because she wanted me to write the book for her. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I would tell her, I think we need to do this. And she says, okay, go do it. And I'm like, do <laughs> <laughs> I've had clients like that. I've had clients like that. Yeah, it's dreadful, actually. Oh. <laughs> I, you know, it's usually, you know, when, when, the, when the contract is long s- since signed and the deadline is the 31st of December and they say, well, I'm going to have Christmas with my, my family, you can finish it. What? Oh, no. dear, right, dear. Dear, right, no, dear. that doesn't. It's, it's like how the you know the parents who do the kids' homework for them. It's like no, yeah. I can't. I can't do your science project for you. I'm, my yeah. job is to take you to the craft store to get the stuff. <laughs> what, what do you? What do you? Final question. What do you get out of working with with writers? What's What's the buzz that you get? I just really, really love the. Um, anytime someone says this new version of the story is so much more 
of what I originally mm. wanted it to be in the first place. You yeah. helped me to do what I wanted to do, but even better, even bigger. You know, this we've changed so much, but it is somehow even more my story than it was before. Yeah. And a lot, I think a lot of people, when they go into an editor relationship, they think they're going to have to cut the baby in half. They don't yeah. think, they think that. Wait, is it act of midwifery? Yeah. 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 He's like, no, you get to keep the whole baby. We're just going to give it a bath. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. We could go on forever and ever. Oh, excuse me. Bottom line. Kate is saying, ask her about Inkers. I've got to ask you. I've got, sudden, it's a desperate chattering message. I've got to ask you about the Inkers conference. What What the heck is that? Oh, InkersCon is yeah. amazing. This is a, um, you know, it's a live, uh, it's a live and digital authors conference that, oh, okay. um, that is new the last couple of years. And I was so impressed the first time I went. They, they, look, anybody will bring an agent or an editor or, you know, your people, right? They brought, <laughs> people like you. <laughs> your people. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, no. These folks, Thank you. they brought Amazon engineers to talk about how the algorithms work and how um, they would actually sit one on one with um, the authors and say, here's why your ranking's not any better. Let's fix um, your keywords. They had one on one Amazon consultations. It's, they are consorting with the enemy, and it is wonderful. Fantastic. Um, so what's the, uh, do you know, have we got a URL or something like that? Yes, we do. This is um, inkerscon.com, and I'm not saying Oh, look at that. Look code. at that. Oh, there's that a discount. A you get a discount or something with that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Try it out. Go to inkerscon.com, plug Great. it in, and see what That's brilliant. Happens. Totally, uh, totally unrehearsed, unprogrammed, but uh, all the better for that. Let's have a look at our fourth penultimate submission. Thank you, Phil, Philip. Yes, very nice to have your feedback too. On our feedback, it's always lovely. It gives a, a nice, great, positive reinforcement loop there, doesn't it, really? This is from The Crusher, and it's middle grade fantasy, MG fantasy, and it's called, I like this title, it's called The Dragon Cat Chronicles. Oh, and this is The Crusher's blurb actually uh, before i read you that you can see there's a qr code there too so you can scan that uh we don't get that many qr codes but i wish we did because you know it's just, it's advertising for you guys it's advertising you know so stick your website or your twitter feed on, on, on the uh, the submission box and we will promote it for you um this is the crash's blurb disguised as a regular house cat a dragon cat guides a young girl to reunite with her twin sister and unearth the magic needed to save their kingdom. Can the timid child discover her courage in time? Will the dragon cat's protection be enough to keep her safe from the murderous kings, find her twin sister, and reveal the magic needed to free her people? I'm liking this. Uh, let me tell you about the crusher. I'm a grant writer and have published award-winning articles in historic journals. I hold a BA in liberal arts and an MS in education. That's nice, short, sharp, and to the point. Sounds like an imaginative proposal to me. Original, ingenious. Who should we ask to read it? I think it should be Chris. The, first page. the Dragon Cat Chronicles by Lacresha Diaz. Read by Chris Ugai. I'm Blanca. My mate is Nero. Together... We are the Dal Legato, the legendary dragon cats of old. Our history fills entire libraries. Artists spin our victories into tapestries hung in great halls throughout the kingdom of Talaya. 
a carved monument in our likeness guards the river Vita. Over centuries, the people celebrate us with food, drink, music, and dancing in an annual festival. Despite these accolades, few believe in our existence. I do not regret becoming a myth, but I do have a more practical concern. How many times have I suffered through long-winded tales of our birth, our triumphs in battle, our role as protectors, or our bond with the twin rulers? At each retelling, I find it somber and dreary. The storytellers present an accurate narrative, but fail to give life to the characters, feelings, and sacrifices that make our adventures unique. Satisfied with the records as written, I will not convey them to you again. Besides, these well-known legends represent the beginning and the middle of our existence. I feel different about our final chapter. For the end of the Dragon Cats, my duty compels me to share with you every small detail. Now, I use my blue fire to embody the human squill with magic and compose my thoughts on this very scroll you now read. We start 200 years into the rule of the Twin Kings, Isaac and Caspar. I perch on the cliff's edge and nuzzle Nero. We rest side by side on the craggy face of the Twin Mountains, camouflaged from the world. A brisk breeze brings the scent of pine trees from the valley below. My white fur glimmers in the moonlight, while only Nero's golden eyes can be seen in the dark. A faint hum of Russian water fills the quiet. We don't talk. As the sky lightens, the looming reality that soon it will be time to separate creeps between us. I break the spell of silence. How is the old man? The same. I turn to Nero with arched eyebrows. He'll make it though, right? From what I can tell. My paws tighten and my long thin tail flicks. You know how important this is. My eyes narrow. He cannot fade. I'm doing what I can in the lesser form. Nero's head sinks and his ears flatten. If we could speak to them. The question hangs in the air, waiting. She isn't ready. I say. He bores into my eyes. Make her. I nudge him with my head. You know it's not something she can be convinced to do. When the time comes, it must be her choice. He reclines into my side and our whiskers touch. And what will she choose? She has strength, but lacks confidence. Still? His tail snaps back and forth. Every day that passes, more of our kingdom is destroyed. The people suffer under this. He pauses with a sour taste in his mouth. Twin kings. Do I have to remind you what they did to stay in power? We were entrusted to guard Talayo. My jaw snarls. I have not forgotten what they have done. Must I remind you that our sacred duty is to protect, not rule? You want me to force a child into a dangerous mission before she is ready, so you don't have to wait any longer. Blanca. It's not about me. It's... My paw caresses his face, and my voice lowers. I know the frustration of waiting day after day. I feel it too. But we can't let impatience interfere with our plan. I sense change. Don't you? His features soften under my embrace. Then we wait. 
I arch my spine and retract my sharp claws. My ears tilt to the side and I catch his gaze. Not long now. I bat my blue eyes at him. A slow kiss. He blinks back with his golden ones and nods his black, silken head in agreement. Even the air pulses with magic. The child will be ready soon. I crouch low and leap. My wings stretch out and beat down with a sweeping force lifting my body into the sky. A breeze swooshes under the steady rhythm of flapping. I sense Nero's eyes on my back and smile. He will watch me go. He always does. I catch a wind stream and glide down the mountainside. I follow the river through the mountain valley, passing Talayu cities from above, careful not to be seen. The brief trip tires my wings. Flying back feels more labored than going. My mind overflows with thoughts of Nero. We have endured twelve years this way, separated. So, if in years to come, when Dragon Cats is a massive worldwide international phenomenon and a cash cow, cash cat, and if I ask, what was the original voice of the Dragon Cat? They will come back to this and they will say, it was Chris. Because I think everyone in the chat room said, oh, it, she just absolutely makes it. This is, this is the voice of the Dragon Cat. I love it. I absolutely love the narration. Well done, Chris. That was really terrific. First reactions, please, Tex. Well, I think it's, it's always interesting when you do um, a children's story with essentially adult characters, whether they're dragon cats or humans or aliens or something. And I think it can absolutely work. Um, you know, my, in My Little Pony, the Friendship is Magic series, all of those ponies are adult ponies with jobs, you know, but that series <laughs> is aimed at, at young girls. Um, I think the key, if we're going to do that and have adult characters starring essentially in a, a children's book, Mm -hmm. is to make sure that their problems are still child-understandable, child-relatable yeah, problems. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, when Twilight Sparkle first gets to Ponyville, yeah, she's a grown-up pony, but she doesn't know anybody and she needs to make some friends, which is yeah. something any child can relate to. Yeah. Here, we're talking about taking away a child's innocence, and I mm. don't think a child would relate to that because they are still no. innocent themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we're also Absolutely. talking about the difficulty yeah. of a, a married couple. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm interested in the whole dragon cat thing. I'm thinking maybe we just start somewhere a little different. Mm. Mm. I think that's very very perspicacious, Johnny. Yeah, I uh, the, the opening the opening sort of uh, couple of paragraphs were pro were a prologue under under the radar almost. Yeah, that's and right. Actually, to me had, yeah. a, had a little bit of a different voice, which which I thought was stronger. When, when we came into the actual story itself. I, I, I got a bit confused. I couldn't quite work out what was happening. And, and the, there, were, there were many sort of, there was a lot of dialogue, which is great because I like dialogue, but it was confusing me a little bit. I couldn't quite see what they were trying to do, the, yeah. the two dragon cats. Though I, I would say hats off for the concept of dragon cats. I would have thought, you know, it's a, it's a, um, a potential blockbuster if it's handled correctly, uh, you know, because you, you don't get two better things really on sort of <laughs> and it, within the genres than cats and dragons and to have a yeah. hybrid it, it is quite a good I know, idea I know. But, it get, it'll get people excited it will but for me well that's the point for me i thought you know it, it, it then seemed to sort of gravitate towards it could have been any any sort of creatures talking really they lost their dragon yeah. cattiness Makes sense. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah. it left me feeling a little bit disappointed. I was—I'd I, written great concept, 
charming opening. And then after that, it went a little bit, mm, you know, yeah. I, 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 can't, I couldn't quite suss out what was happening. Yeah, Katie just made a great point in the YouTube chat room as well. So, Rakesh, if you're if you're watching or watching a recording, then you know, just as I always say, just pause it right now and just consider write down everything everyone said because it's all it's all excellent feedback. I'm going to ask you, Johnny, um, for a number between one and five. I'm terribly boring tonight. Um, I couldn't give it a four, and I wouldn't give it a two, so I, I, I'll, so I'll give it a three. All right, Mr. Three. Uh, Tex? I will be Mrs. Three. Mrs. Three. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to go three as well. Because I like the concept. A concept sell, actually. Uh, the execution is not there yet, but it could be. And I think you, if you haven't, you need to get the .com right now. Um, but, in, 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 yeah, I mean... I can't add to what uh, text in particular said in terms of analysis, but I think there's a strong concept there, and I think you should definitely focus on it. And, and I don't know how long you've been spending on it, and if it's sort of ten years, it's worth spending a few more months on it, really getting it to a strong commercial state, and then selling the hell out of it. I don't know what Katie just said. Could we have, have that back on again? Do you think? She said she mentioned that the, the the cat or the dragon in in another story is definitely a dragon. Oh, there it is. Oh yeah, right, is it? Is it? Is it? Okay, all right. Well, I I would want to check that out, but I still think the idea of dragon cats is very strong. Thank you very much, everybody. Let's have a look at the the score as we approach the final submission of the day, and it's tight. It is actually neck and neck, really, between almost everybody, but still, Philip, with our first submission of the day, Legacy is just about inching it, but maybe for no longer. I don't know. Our final submission is this. It's YA Thriller. It's from David Neuner. And there's a QR code there too for you to go off to whatever recondite corner of the internet that David wants to take you to. Everybody I love dies, he says. Death is stalking 16-year-old Marcy's family and trapping their spirits inside her body. She's changing inside and out. And not always for the better. When death sets his sight on Marcy's new girlfriend, she must find a way to intervene or lose <clears throat> the only person she's ever loved. Let me tell you about um, David. I'm a licensed professional engineer living in Syracuse, New York, with more than two decades of technical writing experience. Okay. Um, this should be well constructed then, shouldn't it? Uh, over the past several years, I've found my passion in fiction writing. With three completed manuscripts and another in progress, I have ambitions to be a career author. Well, let's hope we can move you in that direction. And it sounds to me like this is going to be spine-chilling, but supernatural perhaps, certainly a bit sinister. Call for Ali. The first page. Everybody I Love Dies by David. Read by Alison. Chapter One. Alone. Sitting at the kitchen table for ten minutes is like watching my life on endless repeat. Dad and Christopher are seated across from each other in the family room, completely absorbed in one another. Kayla's strutting through the kitchen in front of Mom, hands on hips, wearing Mom's latest impulse clothing purchase. And I'm surrounded, but all alone, sipping herbal tea from a cream-coloured mug that reads, We Are Family. I know I could plop down on the pleather couch next to Christopher while he tells Dad how college cross-country training is way more intense than high school. There is nothing I could contribute to the conversation, 
but I know how important running is to Christopher, and I know how important Christopher is to Dad. I could tell Kayla she looks like a princess in her new ruffled coral dress. I could even ignore the chill in Mom's accusatory glances whenever she looks at me, like I'm competing for her praise. But I don't do any of these things, because today is different. A darkness trails Kayla like a long, flowing gown and covers the worn-out linoleum behind her. It sways in smooth movements as she prances back and forth across the tile floor, each step placed confidently in front of the other. There's no way she could cast a shadow that big. She's only five. It takes me a moment to register its significance. I thought I'd seen the last of the darkness before Nana died. The doctor reassured me that my mind was playing tricks on me. But it wasn't. I know what I saw. And now it's following Kayla. Mom! My voice wavers, struggling to sound out one simple syllable. Her piercing emerald eyes detach from Kayla long enough to meet mine, and I recoil ever so slightly. Irritation erases her smile with a smooth stroke. Wrinkles pleat the loose skin on her forehead like a folding fan. What? What's the matter? I slowly rise and extend a wavering arm to point behind Kayla. Do you... do you see that? Kayla stops her fashion show and playfully flops her head to the side, her auburn curls dancing in the kitchen lighting. Mom cranes her long neck to see where I'm pointing. See what, Marcy? What are you looking at? I keep my finger aimed at the blackness that swallows the floor behind Kayla. The darkness. Kayla spins around in a circle and holds her tiny hands in the air. What darkness? I don't see anything. Mom plops down on the stool and rolls her eyes. Jesus, Marcy, stop trying to scare your sister. I'm not making it up. It's right behind her, pulsating with negative energy, just like the black mass that crept along the floor towards Nana's bed at the nursing home. I wanted to run for help, but Nana wouldn't let go of my arm. She wanted me to witness her death. That was more than a month ago. I haven't been the same since. Christopher, come here! I want him to see it. I need him to see it, to prove I'm not going insane. Christopher lazily waves his hand at me, refusing to break eye contact with Dad. One sec, sis. He continues talking, and I yell over him, Now! Begrudgingly, he rises from the couch and stomps into the kitchen, hands buried in the pockets of his shiny new track warm-ups that are too baggy for his wiry flame. What? Look! I point to the pool of rich, black nothingness on the floor behind Kayla. She spins round again and nearly falls over. <laughs> nice, Kay. Looks like you need to practice walking in those big girl shoes a bit more. I wasn't talking about her shoes, Christopher. I was talking about the darkness. It's right there. Don't you see it? Sorry, sis. Christopher shrugs before sauntering back to the family room. I can't even look at his pimply face right now. He always used to have my back, unconditionally. Now he only defends me if it somehow benefits him. Mom calmly asks Kayla to go upstairs and change, her eyes never leaving mine. Uh -oh. It's definitely going to get spooky. I don't know, Johnny, if you... Do you remember that 1990s film Ghost with Patrick Swayze? Did you, did you ever see that? I did, yeah. Uh, yeah, do you remember those, those quite creepy, sort of blacky, sticky things yeah. that were actually really quite scary? Do you remember those? I'm, it kind of puts me in mind of that. It's a little bit like that. And, uh, I, you know, I've made a note here. I actually sat, I've sat forward because it was gripping me. It, it was mm. quite a lot of suspense, mm. which I quite like. 
um, this sort of mysterious black miasma or whatever it is behind the, behind the cage is, is good, you know, and, and it does sort of raise the stakes. I think someone in the chat room said earlier, you know, to, to, to cut to the quick a wee bit sooner, and, and I think we could probably lose the first half page uh, and, and get to the spooky bit. But yeah. it, 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 the writing worked well for me, and, and, and I was drawn into it. It actually made me concentrate on the story, and I didn't find my uh, my attention slipping particularly much. You know, and, and I could all all I could hear was the sort of uh, psycho dagger music in the background. You know, subliminally in my head, thinking something nasty is going to happen here. But yeah. as yet, it hasn't. <laughs> so I got quite like, yeah, I, I, Good. I quite liked it. Yes, and the title is going to get your attention too, isn't it? So, what are you going to go for? Let's let's say we'll push Johnny up a bit. What what, what are you going to get? Well, well. Oh, it's going to be uphill, um, isn't it? Okay. Uh, it's between a three and a four, and and, and I'll go four. Oh! I didn't expect that. I didn't think we were going to get four, Johnny, but we did. Tex. Oh, you know. You know, I love agreeing with the chat room, but I got a break on this one. I All have right. to say, I really like that first page just as it is. And I'm mm. so glad we wait a second before before we get to the shadow long, just long enough to see that this is a, a you know, to see what is at stake for this family. This is a family. Mm. They hang out together. Mom buys the young daughter dresses. Dad likes talking with the son. Our protagonist feels a bit lonely in between them. I think it is so important to know what those stakes are so that by the yeah. time a shadow intervenes, we know not only what is the horrible thing to anticipate, but also why that matters, why we're going to care if something bad happens to Kayla or to, you know, whoever else. I really, this is so well done. I, I'm yeah. going to give it a five. I just, oh, my I, goodness. <laughs> I didn't see that coming at all. Wow, I'd love to finish the show with a five. That's absolutely brilliant. I'm delighted, actually. I'm delighted for you as well, David. Um, I'm going to go less than that. Um, I am. I, I tell you, my only concern, really, and I think I think it could be sharpened a little bit. Um, my only concern is where do we go from here? Because it, it is an arresting beginning, but is it going to lose pace? What can you do next? I don't know. So I'm going to go three, but it doesn't matter. Because Texas has already gone five. So, you know, I think we, we know what the situation is. And this is what it is. Actually, when my score gets out of there, which it will at any second now. Um, yeah, it's just gone on. So, suddenly, as if from nowhere, David has surged into the lead. And there we were thinking that Philip with the legacy was going to be the number one. And actually, 80%. We don't often get that. Well... Uh, we're going to come back to our wonderful panellists finally before we release them. It's great, Lucretia. I'm so pleased. Thank you for your feedback. <clears throat> Can I just say, actually, before um, yeah, before we do come back to our panellists, uh, for some reason the YouTube algorithm is not putting us where we need to be in front of people, so we're totally reliant on you now to uh, to tell people about us. And most importantly, please click the like button if you do like us. If you hate us, then obviously there's another choice there too. Um, but click the like button. That I think that has some effect on the algorithm. And do share the word about uh, pop-up submissions. We would love you to, to tell more people about us. Johnny, we know how you voted. This is your chance now to change your vote on one of them or forever hold your peace. I'll just stick where I was, yeah. All threes and the four to finish for me. Okay, that's fantastic. The ineffable 
John Duffy. If you want more of Johnny, then come into Latopia. Why don't you? And now, Tex, the moment of truth for you has arrived. What are you going to do? I have spoken. <laughs> the oracle, the oracular Tex Thompson has spoken. Everybody knows where to find your Tex. Um, total class act. I always feel in safe hands somehow when you're on the show, which, as far as I'm concerned, could not be too frequently. Thank you for being on today. Hope you've enjoyed it. But things are not over. Things have only just begun now. It's really up to you to go to latopia.com slash vote and exercise your view over the next few days because you've heard the experts, you've heard the, the, the chat room, the genius room, but actually what really counts now is the book-buying public. And if you'd like to express a view on the submissions you've seen, that's where you go. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you, everybody behind the scenes who's worked so hard to make pop-up submissions what it is. See you next week.